this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Welcome back to Sports Chat. I'm standing here with two fellas who are having a heck of a year, the Bash Brothers. At this point, guys, I think everyone knows who you are, but just in case, why don't you introduce yourselves? Oh, okay. Well, they call me Jose. And I'm Mark. Jose. And I'm Mark. Go, Jose, go, Hello and welcome to another edition of the Playlist Podcast, the show where we discuss film reviews, film news, and any other pertinent pop culture items. I'm Ryan Oliver, and today joining me, a returning guest, she's the Director of Programming for the Austin Asian American Film Festival, Jenny Nolf. Welcome back to the Playlist Podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for being on the show. We have a lot to discuss today, and I'm very excited for that. A little bit of housekeeping up top before we dive into the show proper. The Playlist Podcast is a part of the Playlist Podcast Network, so if you enjoyed this show, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice, be it iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and you'll get this show as well as our other shows, including Adjust Your Tracking, Be Real, Indie Beat, and our various interviews. So uh, if you're interested in that, be sure to subscribe. And then one last piece of housekeeping, I have to give a special um, thanks, special shout out to Griffin Schiller for filling in on hosting duties for the last couple episodes while I was uh, on a very long work trip in Toronto, including the Game of Thrones finale episode that you were on, Jenny. And I finally watched the finale after over a week, so I look forward to listening to that episode. Yeah, um, we were just talking about it earlier, and you liked it as well. I did, yeah. Um, you know, I've been pretty hot and cold on this season. I think we've discussed off mic, but um, I, I, I liked the finale overall, uh, and I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say over the, uh, what is it, 90 minutes that episode is? It's a pretty long episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, there's a lot to unpack, I'm sure, so I look forward to listening to that. Uh, on today's episode, we are going to, uh, sort of the meat of the episode we're going to be discussing two uh, films, well, I guess one film and one quote-unquote visual poem that dropped on Netflix over Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we will be talking about The Perfection, the new horror thriller from Richard Shepard starring uh, Allison Williams. We'll also be discussing The Lonely Island Presents, the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience. But before we dive into that, uh, when I was creating the review calendar for the playlist podcast for the summer. This episode was initially going to be dedicated to uh, both uh, Livy Wilde's Booksmart and Brightburn, the uh, evil Superman origin tale that was produced by James Gunn. Um, but as it always happens, life gets in the way and I have not seen both movies, but I have seen one and you have seen the other one. So I figured at the very least at the top of this episode, we will still get to briefly discuss Booksmart and Brightburn. So let's go ahead and uh, we'll start with Booksmart, which you have seen. I sadly have not seen yet. Uh, it debuted at South by Southwest to rapturous response. Both of us were at the festival, but neither of us actually saw the film at the festival, but you caught up with it this weekend. Um, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on what, what seems to be one of the most well-reviewed films of the summer and the year as a whole. 
Yeah. So it's kind of amazing that both of us didn't go see Booksmart at South by, even though it looked good. There was nothing that said I like, we shouldn't go see it. But I think you were probably busy writing reviews, and I was busy just not going to Paramount movies. <laughs> right, that makes sense. And I was. I, I think I saw two premieres that day, and Booksmart was the, if I remember correctly, was the late one. So I, I went and uh, bashed out a couple reviews. We, You and I both went to the after party for Booksmart, <laughs> despite I mean, yeah. not seeing the movie. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so Booksmart is Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, although she did not write it. Um, and it is super bad, a la Two Girls in High School, or I guess a la Told Through Two Girls in High School versus The Two Boys, um, which we generally usually get. Um, it's in the trend of a lot of, like, female filmmakers have gone and created these, like, coming-of-age female stories. And I think all of them in the past few years have been very different from each other, even though everyone always likes to compare. Um, we also have Edge of Seventeen and Lady Bird as kind of, like, the two bigger ones um, that have come out recently. But Booksmart is really enjoyable and a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. I don't... My, my sense of humor is really interesting in particular so i actually didn't think the movie was that funny but i do think it had a lot of heart which i think makes up for if you don't think it's as funny it makes up for a lot of the kind of dud jokes if you feel the way i felt um caitlin deaver and beanie fields feldstein are have amazing chemistry you totally believe they're best friends the entire film uh and it's a lovely kind of one crazy night story um, you got a bunch of side characters that are, although shallow, they're fun. And I just wish, my biggest complaint is I wish there were less side characters because it feels like it's just a really stuffed movie for it's about, it's a little bit over 90 minutes. Yeah, it's an hour 42. So yeah, that's like my biggest complaint, which I feel like a lot of people like really love this movie a lot more than me. And I think that's totally fine. I still think it's like a very solid movie that people should go see. And I'm kind of surprised it didn't make as much. Yeah, I'm surprised about that too. And and I, one thing I wanted to ask, since you know you do PR and marketing in in your day job, I was curious. There there was a uh, sort of sentiment going around like the film Twitter circles. I want to say yesterday or two days ago, um, after the movie, the movie opened um, this weekend to a little less than 10 million in over 2,500 screens, which is you know for a small movie, okay, but like in that wider release with that good reviews is kind of frustrating. And people sort of wanted to point the finger at Annapurna for dropping the ball uh, on the marketing of the movie, which I get because they have had a history since they moved from merely a production company to a distribution company of doing that with their films. But I feel like the awareness to this movie was really high. Like, I feel like even, I you know, I saw TV ads for it. I know a lot of people said, like, oh, it was mostly digital marketing, but I saw plenty of television ads for the movie, so... I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, because I feel like this movie was marketed pretty thoroughly and well. So it's really interesting, because I didn't really have a per like good perception of that at first, because I'm in the film critic circle. I was at South By, even though I didn't go see the movie. And I knew about this film pretty... Like, it was in my zeitgeist, at least. That said, I was actually talking with Katya, who was on the Game of Thrones podcast with me, and she has a child and said that her kid tends to not kind of 
look at the same mediums that people our age, like millennials or people older kind of look at to get their marketing and advertising, like a lot of social media influencers usually will tell people to go watch something or uh, yeah, social media is like more like influencers are a bigger thing. So the thing is, I don't think Booksmart actually got into that younger market, which is kind of what the movie relies on. Because if you think about Superbad, when, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, like that was kind of like the dangerous movie that we all should go watch and see because it was geared towards, you know, the 17 and 18 year olds, which are junior and high, like seniors in high school. So people can go see this movie in the age group that it's kind of aiming towards. Absolutely. And then there are people that sneak into movies all the time. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think the kind of consensus is it's possible that millennials knew about the movie and older people did because it was marketed through traditional mediums, but the PR and marketing didn't necessarily break into the younger groups, which I feel like it, you have to, I feel like Annapurna as a kind of newer plate, like uh, distribution company and the fact that they're like marketing and doing their own advertising now, instead of being just a production company, um, might not have thought about. Yeah, no, I think that's, that has to be uh, sort of the case. Cause I, I agree in the standpoint of like you and I are kind of in that bubble. So it's hard to sort of like look objectively at it. Uh, and then, I, the only when I saw TV spots, it was actually recently when I was in Toronto, but it was during the NBA playoffs, which doesn't necessarily skew like that doesn't automatically skew towards the younger demographic. So I'm wondering it, you, that you may be right that they, you know, the the marketing trends through Instagram and other sources of social media just didn't get the word uh, with Booksmart and and it hurt them. Yeah, and I also think that there's a possibility that they didn't play this trailer in front of as many movies that are geared towards that kind of age group. Um, and you mentioned TV, which I think a lot of people were originally complaining, saying, yeah, because they said that there's mostly digitally marked, marketed than on like a television service, but do kids watch TV? Or do they watch YouTube videos? So, it, it yeah, it's a, there's a lot to kind of dissect, but this film is good it's gotten great reviews and there it technically should be no reason why it didn't hit in that group except for the fact that i don't think they knew about it the people at my screening were mostly people my age or a lot older like there weren't that many young kids and if there were young kids it was the parents that were about my age or older Got it. Well, that's, that's, that is uh, interesting and, and kind of a bummer. I I feel like it's one of those movies that um, given the Rapture's response will eventually find that younger audience. Um, But it is, you know, and, and maybe they're not going to the movies as much too. If that's something they thought, Hey, I can just wait for Netflix. Then they're probably just going to do that. Um, Or Hulu, I guess, since it's a Annapurna movie, that would, that was probably where it will end up. But um, I'm hoping um, for the sake of the movie that it finds its audience uh, somewhere down the line. Uh, yeah, I really hope so, too, because it's really charming. It's I, 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 don't, I it's so in that vein of the movies that you see that are a huge hit on Netflix that or like even the television series. Like it kind of gave me like 13 Reasons Why vibes, except it was a lot more. I mean, the movie is getting a lot of praise because it's very, very nice to its characters and no one's actually a bully, but I feel like it kind of deals with those same themes that, like, a show like 13 Reasons Why deals with and, like, handles, or it has the same kind of, 
happy-go-lucky kind of rom-com gel, that kind of heart, like, that is popular on Netflix right now. Oh, awesome. So I, there's, like, so many reasons why someone would love this movie that was at that age group, but I just don't know if they know about it yet. Well, that's because I'm old. <laughs> we we are old. It's it's true. <laughs> it's so true. Um, well, I'm I'm glad to hear that the movie's good. Again, I hope it finds its audience. Um, if you are listening and you're on the fence, or you or if you're listening and you haven't heard of it, um, go see it. I'm going to see it Friday night with my wife. Very excited to do it. Um, the other movie in wide release that came out that is was not Aladdin, uh, which neither of us have seen, I don't think. You haven't seen it. I have haven't seen it. No, I haven't either and have no plans to. Uh, but the other movie that hit wide release that did uh, not great numbers but was also budgeted at $7 million, so probably will be okay uh, is Brightburn. Uh, it's this little horror movie. It's directed by David Yaravisky. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Uh, it's written by Brian Gunn and Mark Gunn. Uh, one of them is James Gunn's brother, and one of them is James Gunn's cousin. I don't remember which is which. Um, but the premise of the movie is essentially, what if Superman crash-landed on Earth in, in Kansas, um, and then during his upbringing became, you know, used his powers for evil. Um, and it stars Elizabeth Banks and David Denman as the parents, and it stars Jackson's jackson a dunn as the young uh brandon the like titular uh superhero character and um the movie is just fine it's totally fine it's um it's one of those movies that has a really strong hook really strong premise uh evil superman that's an interesting idea um but they don't really do too much with it and um it's a brief movie too it's like 90 minutes long uh, after credits so the movie itself is probably about 85 minutes uh, it uses a lot of shorthand, um, which at the start of the movie I thought was actually really clever, uh, that it used a lot of like just visual motifs to uh, develop the story. But as it went on, the characters kind of take turns, and, and the young character especially takes uh, turns towards evil that I just felt were pretty rushed and, and not believable in the context of the movie. Um, but I think like the, the performances overall, I think are pretty solid. And again, the idea is interesting. I just am a little bummed they don't do much with it. Uh, it's like a, you know, it's a superhero origin mixed with a slasher movie. It's like a, it's like a better version kind of, of, uh, the Rob Zombie Halloween, at least the first half of the movie where they, <laughs> where like, where they like, you know, see how Michael Myers became who he was. So it, it has like that, but less rednecky and, and less aggressively terrible um but it but it's like kind of a generic slasher movie in that sense uh it's unexpectedly really gnarly um so i think like if if you're a gore hound this will probably appeal to you very strongly um but it just i i was hooked from the beginning but by the end it kind of just didn't do a whole lot for me outside of its uh premise yeah, so I did not know a lot about this movie except for the basic premise of Superman, but bad. Uh, and then when you introduced it and said it had a James Gunn connection, I did some quick Googling. I hated this director's first movie. Like, I full-on think about it still, and I hate it so much. It's called The Hive. Um, and I remember it because I think I saw it... it premiered at fantastic fest either in 2014 or 2015 I, I i remember it was a while ago at least five years ago or so yes 2014 um 
and James Gunn was with the director, and I was like, oh, this is how this movie got made. It's because it's a friend of his, and it's not good. So I immediately, I don't know, I have no interest in this movie now. Got it. Well, I, I have not seen the, <laughs> I have not seen the Hive, so I, I have no comment there. Um, yeah, I just can't weigh in on that, unfortunately. But I, I, I like I said, I don't think this movie is bad necessarily. Um, well, then he's stepped up a little bit because that movie felt like it was taken from a YA book that wasn't good to begin with. Ah, <laughs> uh, gotcha. Well, no, I, I feel like this movie was made with some confidence and some actually strong direction. Again, I just think I just think it's all surface. That's I think that's the biggest issue for me in this movie is like it's, it's not a like super deep exploration into like, you know, what the world is like today and how it would uh, you know, turn this young uh, you know, potentially hero into somebody evil. Like it doesn't it just doesn't go super deep into it. It's pretty content to be like, here's the premise, and here's some gnarly kills, and enjoy. Which, for some, that's fine. But uh, I, I, I wanted a little more from it. Yeah, I, I will probably watch it if it ends up on VOD, but maybe not even. Because if you don't like it, and a lot of my friends have not been high on it, I don't see a reason to watch a middle-of-the-road horror movie. Yeah, there's no reason to if you, if it's not your bag. But um, but if you're listening and that does sound like your bag, it is in wide release, so you can check that out. Both it and Booksmart are in wide release, uh, and if you're interested in them, go see them because uh, they may not be in theaters very long uh, based on their box office uh, performance. So uh, those are out now. Let's move on to stuff that people can watch immediately right away if they want to. Um, so these two. As we mentioned on the top of the episode, these two things dropped this weekend on Netflix. Let's start with The Perfection, because there is a lot more to dive into there. Um, as I mentioned at the top, this is a like horror thriller. Uh, it's directed by Richard Shepard. It's kind of in the vein of a South Korean horror movie meets Brian De Palma, at least. That's kind of the vibe it's going for. Um, I'm going to read the plot synopsis here uh when troubled musical prodigy charlotte seeks out elizabeth the new star pupil of her former school the encounter sends both musicians down a sinister path with shocking consequences now a lot of people in our circles were very big fans of this movie it debuted at fantastic fest i believe last year uh-huh. okay yeah uh met was and met oh go ahead oh it was kind of a late addition too okay. from what i recall got it and it was met with a pretty pretty solid response um, a lot of people we love and respect really, uh, really went for this movie and it just hit Netflix this weekend. And I'm curious because you are probably the most knowledgeable person in um, South Korean horror that I know, uh, which this movie certainly borrows a lot from. And so I'm curious what, how you felt about this movie and even more so, um, and, and maybe we'll dive into a spoiler section because there might be enough to get into, too. Just how you felt about it overall. So I'm a little... So from someone who actually loves South Korean revenge thrillers and loves their twisty nature, but even in some cases, some of them aren't just twisty. They're just flat out like gruesome and a lot to chew on and unpack. I feel like for this specific movie, a lot of <clears throat> people have been comparing it to like Park Chan-wook's films, which have a lot more twists in them and you don't really see things coming. Uh, 
the two that I can think of at the top of my head are Sympathy for Lady Vengeance and The Handmaiden. And The Handmaiden isn't even like a, wouldn't say it's necessarily as much of a gory revenge thriller as something like Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Uh, I feel a little lied to. <laughs> I, I don't think that this has a lot in common with South Korean horror at all. I could see where it wanted to have that in common with the amount of twists, uh, but I just don't really, I felt like a lot of the twists were predictable and you could see them coming easily. Um, Martyrs is another movie that was thrown out there, which is a French film. Um, it, that also I don't really see the connection to. Um, outside the fact that these are just horror movies or like gory films that have twists. Oh, sure. I, I, I saw it at least for me. I don't see the martyrs connection at all. I will, I will agree there that I I did not see that even remotely handmaiden, especially I did see, and I would say sympathy for uh, lady vengeance as well. Um, Outside of the twist, I think maybe the more, like, lurid subject matter is maybe what people... At least that's what I thought of, anyway, because I know they, they tend to be a little bit more uh, boundary-pushing, a little bit more progressive, and I think that's what this film is ultimately going for. Um, I mentioned Brian De Palma as well. Um, you know, I think about his more, like, lurid, like, dress to kill, femme fatale. Um, this certainly at least wants to play in that sandbox, but it, it's... I, 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 I keep going back. When I was watching this movie, I was going back to what um, Michael Phillips of the Chicago Tribune always says when he is on the uh, Film Spotting podcast. He he talks about this interview, or it was either an interview or an interaction he had with Joel Cohen. And Joel Cohen said uh, the most important thing, the, the, the most important job that a director has is two words, tone, management. And most South Korean horror thrillers that I've seen juggle all different kinds of twists and different shifts, but there's always a backbone. Like, there's always a backbone to where those tonal shifts make sense with character, they make sense with the rhythm of the movie, and I think that ultimately is sort of where the perfection... um, unfortunately falls for me. Like I won't bury the lead. I, I mean, I guess I don't think we buried the lead. It sounds like neither of us are super high <laughs> in this movie, but, um, but that's the biggest thing is like the tone for this movie is all wrong. I feel like from, from character shifts, from music choices, like it just doesn't work when it needs to shift gears from one thing to the other. It's like, I, I can hear them grind. It's really clunky in that way. Um, despite some things that I think are good, but I think that's the biggest thing is just like the tone of this movie for all the twists, for all the stuff that it wants to do, it needed to have a sort of grounded, uh, tone to lay it all on. And it just, it doesn't have that. Oh, that actually feels like it clicks with me because for the longest time, like, oh, I've been saying since Friday. So the longest time, AKA like in four days, um, (laughs) I've been like talking with a few people, and I say that the, my biggest issue with this film is that it 
wants so much to be in that highbrow thriller that like a South Korean film is or like a highbrow horror film like Martyrs say uh since people have been throwing that around but it's not it's so b-movie schlock but it doesn't even go to the like depths that b-movie schlock can go to so it's like playing around in this like middle field almost and i just i feel like it doesn't hit either notes (laughs) notes oh my god uh well (laughs) enough to make this film like enjoyable to me at all like i think i could see in a giant crowd where this would have been a lot more fun but sitting at home watching it with just me and my boyfriend the 40 minutes in we were like oh yeah i think i figured out this movie or not even 40 minutes like i think it was 30 minutes it was uh i guess we should say spoiler alert potentially um from here on but like when allison williams wakes up and goes on her trip with uh, logan browning's character so there's charlotte and lizzie uh i knew immediately i was like okay Alice, like, there's something up with Allison. She's not who she says she is. We don't know anything about her so far outside the fact that she lost her dream. And I don't, and from knowing from everyone saying, oh, there's so many twists along the way. And I wish that I hadn't heard that because then I kind of started, you know, checking boxes in my head. Like, okay, I see where this twist is going. Clearly, the people at the school are bad. I don't know if Allison, like, Charlotte's with them or not, but the school people, like, trudged around like villains the entire first act. Yes. So I knew something was up. And then especially when they show that, like, her and Allison Williams and Logan Browning's character have the same tattoo, I'm like, okay, there's something culty going on now. (laughs) This has nothing to do with Logan Browning that, like... Charlotte is not going after Lizzie because Lizzie is famous. She's going after her for other reasons. Yeah, that's the the movie really tips its hand early, and I think that's a huge problem. Um, I I do, I I agree, and usually, usually that doesn't bother me. Like I, it doesn't bother me to be ahead of the movie as long as I either understand or I'm along for the ride, and um. And similarly, like I, if I watch this in a crowded theater, like a fantastic fest, you know, there's, there are so many like audience reaction ready moments in the film, like to its credit that I think would have played like gangbusters, but watching it at home, like on the verge of a stomach virus, uh, trying to just watch it and get it done. Like it just like, you know, didn't, did not do much for me. Um, Despite again, despite the best efforts, I think of everybody. I think despite the cast, I think they're totally giving it their all. Um, they're occasionally hung up to dry. I think for the sake of twists. That's the other thing too. Is like I hate when a movie will um, deliberately conceal obvious information for the sake of the twist. Like there's a way to do that yeah. where you can like have the elements there and have characters do logical things and still con- still conceal the twist. Whereas this, yeah. one, this one does a lot of like illogical stuff where you're like, okay, now you're just doing that so that, you know, it becomes a pull the rug out from under you. And, and it's, it's infuriating. Uh, yeah. But I feel like the thing that personifies that the most is that this movie not only once, but twice has a rewind. And it's like, look at the things that you missed. And it's like, I didn't miss her picking up the cleaver because it wasn't shown. Yes, and that's and that's where I the the De Palma comparison comes in to me because they like he's done that throughout like a lot of his movies. I thought thought of Femme Fatale a lot while watching this movie. Just 
inherently not as good as that movie. Because even though, like, you know, De Palma's movies can dip into the B territory, but, like, he's such a A craftsman, like, like the way he uses cinematic language, that he can sell the hell out of this, like, lurid, potentially schlocky material. And while I don't think the direction in this movie is bad, necessarily, it just, it isn't enough to... Uh, to get us to go along with it. I mean, I think it's I think it's pretty bad, actually. I think that's what I think loses this movie. The, the script is even worse, but yeah. the, the direction is so uneven that I think that constitutes as bad. This director, to be fair, he only had 24 days to film this film for whatever reasons or another. He's a TV director usually. So I, I can understand that maybe he was under some like, he was between projects or something. But I just... Mm. like there are shots that I think are good, but having a good shot in a film doesn't necessarily mean you're a good director. Cause right. When you mentioned the balancing of tone thing, I kept thinking like, yeah, that is exactly what this movie does not do. Oh, sure. I guess let me rephrase. I don't think the sort of, I think the direction is bad from that standpoint. I don't think it's bad from like a, a pace or a like constructing of shot standpoint. Uh, yeah. At least I like I I think it's like well shot and the shots are purposeful even if they're obvious. Um, but it is like yeah, it's an absolute tonal mess and I think that's completely where it fails. And the the subject matter too, like kind of what it's ultimately about, made me a little uneasy. Um, like the movie didn't earn that. Um, I'm trying to tiptoe around spoilers here, but I know you know what I'm talking about. And we've talked about this at yeah. length with, um, with Split, the ending of the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Oh, yeah. And... I didn't even think about that movie in the context of this one. But yes, it feels like a man kind of writing about that yes. subject matter. Yes. And it's very, it was written by two men, <laughs> this, this screenplay, yeah. including the director. And it just, it, it shows, like... It, it, it just varies clear, like, male perspective on a really, uh, you know, troubling subject matter. Um, and so it's like, and then that's like, that's kind of the final nail in the coffin on this movie for me. Is like, yeah, the tone is uneven. Uh, maybe if, it, like, the ending was strong or it, like, wrapped it all together in a way that I thought was, like, poignant. Um, it could have saved a lot of it. But instead, it just made me feel, just made me feel gross <laughs> at the end of it. Um, and this is somebody who like willingly dives into like the, the B movie, C movie dumpster on a weekly basis. And, uh, even I thought this movie was just like kind of tasteless in that regard. Yeah. And I don't think what I'm trying to say, or we're trying to say in general is that a man can't direct a film like this. No, that's not true at all. Because when we say it's the handmaiden light, like Park Chan-wook elegantly creates a film about two women who have been, well, one particularly who has been wronged for a very long time in a, like underground organization and it's done so well that said it's also previously adapted from material that a woman wrote but it's very different too i it, i feel like there's it's, sometimes you can tell that oh this is from a, man, a man's perspective and they didn't put the care and the thought behind this subject matter and I feel like the perfection is that. Whereas, like something like The Handmaid or something for Lady Vengeance, there's a lot of care and thought behind it to make sure that it plays well on screen and doesn't feel exploitive. Like this one kind of felt to me. 
yeah it fe- it feels supremely exploitative and and agreed like like we're saying it, it isn't uh it's not that a man can't make this type of movie but it's like you really to to have that subject matter you really have to be delicate with it and i think the handmaiden is a perfect perfect example um that that movie is so incredibly well constructed and takes the time to get into our characters heads makes us care understand what how they were wronged how they're doling out the revenge and and it's just so smart about it and this movie um this movie just it's not smart about it and it it uh and if it wasn't like if it if it didn't have that if that wasn't sort of the buttoning moment what it was about i'd probably be a little more forgiving i'd probably be a little bit more like okay this is just this is like some well-crafted atonal schlock that maybe i'd be able to sink my teeth into but when you start introducing that as a plot thread it's like oh boy you have to earn it like you really really have to earn it and and it doesn't yeah, because it's it's a, it's like kind of a two level thing as well. Because it's not o- only like the twist isn't necessarily about like I, I don't know. Actually, I can't say it without spoiling it. Um, so I'm gonna pass over that. But I just I feel like you don't know these characters either. Um, Charlotte, uh, there's a lot. It feels like there should be a lot more to her, and there isn't. You just get. You, the, the movie repetitively tells you, yes, she left to go take care of her grandma. And that is how she figured out what that this organization was wrong. And, like, there's nothing else to that, though. There's no, you don't get to see her, like, revelation. You don't get to kind of feel her emotions behind it. And I also feel like that's because Allison Williams, I know a lot of people like her. I don't think she's that good of an actress. I think she has one note, and she can play it really well, which the title kind of plays is the one note that she has. She's as a perfectionist, but you don't really, you can't really ever see her underneath. I feel like girls is a little bit better at exploring that because they have more time with her. But even in get out, she's a very similar character. Yeah, I did. I thought about get out a lot specifically. Um, and I do agree on, on girls. Uh, is it, is it still okay to like that show? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. So. Okay. I think it's okay. <laughs> Uh, if you finished it, I'm going to go with, yeah, probably is okay if you like it. Got it. I, I haven't finished it, but I just remember those first couple seasons being like really great. But that's, that's besides the point. I, I, I might have to agree. I do. I, I still think everyone is trying here. Like I think everyone, uh, her included are, are doing their best to sell oh, this material. Logan Browning is very good. Yeah. I think um, Logan Browning's good. And I think, uh, as, disgusting and and unsettling as it is i think steven weber is really good as well um but like again i just wish that was in a better movie like that could have been such an interesting relishing like villain role if it was in a more delicately handled film yeah i feel like there's a lot of rush to it um and it it feels rushed and yet we get like again two rewinds which are so obnoxious and annoying I hate when films do that to me. It's like, okay. So I get to watch the entire movie I just watched again. Yeah. And then with information that you didn't give me originally. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really irritating like trope. And I'm, I'm with you. I hate it. Like, Every once in a while, it can work. I mean, I don't mind like Ocean's Eleven uh, or or Mm. like or or like like I said, Femme Fatale does it one time, and it, I think it's effective. But like two and and to literally have it rewind that's the other thing that drives me nuts oh, is yeah. like like literally 
rewound. It's one thing if it's like a cut, you know, it's like a cut and then they, they go through the scene again from a different viewpoint. But it's like the fact that it's literally a rewind effect. I'm just like, fuck off. <laughs> like, oh, man, I, I, I guess the only other credit I'll give this movie is like I wasn't bored watching it. I was frustrated, but it certainly isn't a boring movie. Um, so I guess kudos for that. I think Katie Reif of AV Club said it the best in her review where she opens it saying Netflix is like the new straight to DVD and the perfection is more or less a straight to DVD horror movie. It's exactly what you'd expect. Which like, I think if you view it as that and that's super like a great point. And if you view it as that, I, I see why people are gravitating towards it because I think technically it's, better than most straight to dvd horror movies would be that still doesn't mean it's very good but it it is better than a lot of those ones that just kind of get dumped yeah Uh, kind of i mean it makes that i feel like is the the best way to describe the perfection at the end of the day i also you know for a movie that's supposed to be this is also something that annoys me as a pet peeve that gets compared to, again, it got compared to Martyrs and South Korean Revenge films, which are notoriously gory and show you exactly what's going on on screen. This movie cuts away, it shows, there's one gory shot, I think, where yeah. you see someone cut someone with a knife, but everything else gets cut away from. So it's not even that schlocky and gross like a B-movie should be. It's it's almost like embarrassed to because it's like it wants to be a higher class movie. And so they're like, oh, we'll be Hitchcockian. We'll be De Palmian. We'll we'll obscure some of this stuff. But it's like, no, like know what you are and lean into it. Um, yeah. And then anything that is kind of gory or gruesome, it's digitized, which makes it look so shitty. Yeah, it looks that looked terrible. Like I. I it's one of those I I totally agree. I'm glad you brought that up because I agree that I like the the obscuring of it is frustrating for the type of movie it is, but also it looks so terrible that <laughs> I'm almost glad they did too. It's just, like it's just this movie just can't win on either <laughs> level. Yeah, they couldn't even like get fake like get people to vomit fakely. Like there's oh. digitized vomit in this movie and I was like, "Really? You couldn't even just like make that on set and have someone spit it up like most like this is something i've seen in so many movies i've never seen digitized vomit this bad no no it's oh that's i that's a good point too god it's so yeah it looks so cheap it's like if you're doing digitized the only way you could like you get a pass for doing digitized blood if it's like if you're like the john wick movies where you're doing such like crazy choreography within the shot that it's just impossible to time your squibs that much then it's like okay i get digital blood but there was no need for that in this movie yeah it's just mm. and for a movie that tries to look as good as it looks like once those when yeah when once those like gory or gross like moments happen you're like okay you had enough money to give them the prettiest dresses that I've ever seen, but you couldn't figure out how to make vomit on set. Yeah, that's it's pretty. It's got a practical effect. It's pretty pitiful in that regard. Um, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts on the perfection before we move on to our final final thing? I just wish people would stop lying to me. 
<laughs> actually, dude, this is funny because one person, and they even like messaged me, uh, my friend Trace, after I watched it at Fantastic Fest, he actually came up to me after he saw it and was like, oh, Jenny, this is not a movie you're, you're going to like. Because he knows my taste that well. Oh, that's funny. Which I can appreciate to an extent. I was like, oh, I won't like it? And he's like, probably not. And then I was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and so that's why I didn't see it at Fantastic Fest. I think I kept skipping it then after. Because Trace, who knows my taste, is like, no, you won't have, like, quote-unquote fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember if it was late. It was either late Friday or early Saturday. You texted me, just it just said no to the perfection. <laughs> it's like, well, I haven't watched it yet. So give me, give me a second. Um, I know. I'm like secretly like, like pumping my fists in the air when I see like someone on Twitter that they think is credible say I don't like it, and then I'm like, yes, finally. You're getting here. You people, you're coming out. <laughs> I'm not going to knock people for liking it, but it just, yeah, it really, really fumbles in a lot of, of regard to me. No, I don't knock anyone for liking anything. I just, you know, I, I just like having, feeling like I'm not the only one that's hating on something. Well, you're not the only one. Uh, I know I'm yeah. not a fan of it. I know our playlist editor-in-chief, Rodrigo Perez, is definitely not a fan of the movie. So, um... There, there, there are people out there. We exist who yeah. are not high in the perfection. Um, I mean, my boyfriend didn't like it either. So there you go. We're yeah. <laughs> slowly but surely. Um, let's move on to something that we do like, though. Yes. Uh, and I mean, we'll be very brief on this because uh, how do you review a thirty-minute visual poem? But uh, we're going to do our best to talk about um, the Lonely Island presents the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience. Uh, which is uh, essentially a new album they dropped that's, you know, using visual motifs. Um, and for whatever reason, it has Akiva Schaefer and Andy Samberg playing Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire, respectively, and decided to make a whole album about them. Uh, it's, I don't know, for me, it's uh, it's funny on the level of parroting these like visual poems, like Beyonce's Lemonade and the like. But it's also what the Lonely Island just does best, where it's just it's heightened, it's surrealism to the point of bafflement, and it's, it's hilarious. But some of the most best produced pop beats that I've heard in quite some time, and they know how to get in and get out of a joke. If this thing was a minute longer, it would wear out its welcome. And it's I think so. And it's the perfect. Like, I feel that same way about Pop Star, like. It's 80 minute movie. If it was any longer, it would wear out its welcome. They know exactly how long they need to do their thing and they do it. And it's hilarious. Um, what, what, uh, I, I know I'm not bearing my lead over here, but, um, what, what did you think about the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience? So it's kind of funny because I put this on before watching the perfection just randomly because I was like, well, it's 30 minutes. I'm just going to put it on because I kind of want to see it. And I enjoyed it so much more. <laughs> and I kind of wish I just watched this like three more times after. Because <laughs> um, there's a lot of like really fun gags that it, like much to like Lonely Island's credit, they kind of keep hidden and you can watch it again and again and kind of appreciate things more and more because they, they are just really good at making things funny. <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, I've seen it. I watched it twice in one night when it dropped. Um, it, it was it was right before coming back from Toronto, and I was finishing up some work, and so I put it on 
while I was finishing up what I needed to finish up. And then my coworkers got back from grabbing a beer and I'm like, guys, you need to watch this. Um, and so he watched it a second time and it's, um, yeah, it's incredible. Like they're, they're, they're so good. They know exactly, like I said, they know when to get in and out of a joke. Uh, they know how to make things really funny. Um, and just bizarre, like, again, what, what relevance do the Bash Brothers have, like, currently, that they needed to make an album about them? And it's so, like, anachronistic, because it's about the 88-89 um, uh, baseball season, and yet there's references to modern stuff here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, they have, like... They have cell phones, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't make any sense. There's there's some terrific uh, guest acts, too. Um, I know Haim is one of them. Oh, my God. Uh, Haim, the IHOP parking lot song is... Yeah, there's nothing more perfect oh, than that. Oh, it's so wonderful. This <laughs> With Maya Rudolph. <laughs> this IHOP is popping off. Um, it's, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Sia also makes, it, makes an appearance. Uh, well, in... <laughs> in vocal form anyway somebody else makes an appearance as sia but i'll i'll conceal that for for people to check out yeah uh oakland you're talking about oakland knights which is genius <laughs> <laughs> oakland knights is probably the highlight of it for me the 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 uh the the punchline of that is just oh, it's too perfect it's too perfect yeah and i just it's it looks good uh i love the <laughs> The nods to Terrence Malick. <laughs> oh, yes. I thought of that, too. Thank you. I was totally... Because I, I make that joke um, for, for those... I mean, this may be a little inside joke. I know you and I are both a huge fan of the um, uh, Is This a Pigeon meme. <laughs> and yeah. and my favorite one, far and away, is they took a photo of... I think it's Jessica Chastain in the Tree of Life with the hand grazing the cornfield. Um, and then it said, uh, film buffs and says, is this cinematic? And, <laughs> and it's far. Is this a pigeon is the best meme. It's so good. Down. And that one is my favorite <laughs> of that meme. And so like the, the, yeah, there's a lot of like Malikian, uh, tropes in the, it, like visually in this, of this sort of like existentialism that both of them are having about, uh, their, their home lives growing up. Which, like, it gets surprisingly dark, um, but still funny. Uh, and then about them taking steroids and, and keeping it a secret from everybody and only they know about it. It's just, oh, it's so bizarre. But it, it, it I, I laughed consistently through the entire 30-minute runtime. Yeah, it was the perfect uh, waiting for my Instant Pot to be done making my food in <laughs> 30 minutes. <laughs> Yes, that's that's a good way to describe it. But it's it's just it's so easy to put on. It is, and it's so it's so watchable. I mean, I I'm gonna watch it at least at least one more time, probably more. Um, it's it's uh, and it's really cool that like I I think I could be mistaken. I feel like I did read somewhere that like the Lonely Island did sign a, a Netflix deal for at least a couple things. Um. Because they have this, and then they're also producers on the um, "I Think You Should Leave" show, um, okay. which, which for listeners I know uh, haven't covered that in an episode, but uh, you should definitely watch it. It's hilarious, and the episodes are only fifteen minutes long. So, um, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I feel like Netflix is kind of the perfect home for something like this, like it, um, because they started on YouTube. Like they they they, yeah. they they came from that background, and so like Netflix giving them a budget to essentially just do a a, a short 
um, to the best of their ability, I think is, is just the perfect platform for them. I kind of agree. And I, I could only hope that their next thing with Netflix is they're going to make a feature length version of I'm on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have demands and I expect them to be met. <laughs> well, hopefully that's the case. And they get T-Pain <laughs> as a starring role. That'd be awesome. I just wanted a whole thing about them being on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. I want to know the story. The musical, the musical that we all deserve. And they have their flippy floppies. What more could you want? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other thoughts on uh, the uh, the unauthorized Bash Brothers experience before we uh, wrap this episode up? Um, it it looks good too. Did I say that already? You did, yes, but agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah it does look good. Um, oh, and the credits. Stay for the credits. Oh, it's like the only time Netflix will let you. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's they. I, I hate that, by the way. I know that's like a sidebar, but I, I really hate that. Like, here's the next thing. Like, no, I'm still watching the credits of this thing. Yeah, sometimes the credits have important things in them, and this one has a really good bit. It, it does. <laughs> it, it's it's so stupid and bizarre and funny, uh, that, that last bit. So, yes, definitely stay through the credits. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that is Booksmart, Brightburn, the perfection and the unauthorized bash brothers experience uh we crammed a lot in under an hour um as i mentioned the top book smart and brightburn are in wide release the perfection and the unauthorized bash brothers experience are on netflix so if you are interested in checking any of those out if you want to uh disagree with us uh, over the perfection like a lot of people do um you can check that out immediately um but before i wrap up Thank you, Jenny, for logging on real quick and, and chatting about this. I know it was a lot, but I'm 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 happy that you were able to come on and and uh, unpack the perfection. Yeah, I'm always happy to come on and and chat about movies, especially horror movies. Yes, that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is your brand. That is your hashtag on brand. Is yeah, I'm picky. <laughs> I, I hey, we're we're better for it, you know. Truth be told, so. We have to be a little picky from time to time. So, um, but thank you. Thank you again. And once again, the playlist podcast is a part of the playlist podcast network. So if you enjoy this show, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice, be it iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, however you get your podcasts, you'll get this show as well as our other shows, including adjust your tracking, indie beat, be real, and the various interviews that we have popping up on the site from time to time. Uh, Jenny, thank you again. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Still crumbs and